Uh, If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Isaiah chapter 45. It's interesting we land on this here over a very patriotic weekend. I'm going to be addressing a few things in regards to our nation and a few things that we need to take serious, that God takes serious. But as we walk through this, before we pray and get into the Word together, I want to kind of set us up so that we understand what it is that we're about to read. But Isaiah is a prophet. He speaks prophetically. And he's speaking, he's a mouthpiece for God, but there's also moments when he speaks about something that it's going to come true in the future. There's a prophetic nature to this. And we're introduced here to a king by the name of Cyrus, who would be the king of Persia. And Isaiah is speaking this 150 years before this king would show up. It's pretty crazy. I don't know if you guys have ever made predictions and then all of a sudden it happens and you're like, whoa, that was crazy. But I mean, imagine writing this down, having people scrutinizing your writings and this type of stuff is coming true. This isn't the only thing that Isaiah spoke on behalf of the Lord for that ended up coming true. But King Cyrus is the king of Persia and Israel is going to be taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon. They're captives. They're prisoners. And this foreign king, foreign king, keep that in mind, is going to come in and take care of business on Babylon. And after he does that, he's going to set God's people free. So they're in this prisoner-type situation with Babylon, and this foreign king is going to come in and help God's people. God tells us that Cyrus has an anointing on him. This is the only place in Scripture where there is somebody that is not of God's people that is explained to have an anointing on him. This is incredible. This foreign leader... I mean, they'd anoint high priests, they'd anoint kings of Israel, they'd anoint kings of Judah, and God's saying, I got an anointing on this guy that's not even from my people. So he's anointed. God's going to make him successful. And there's a certain point as we read in this passage, Isaiah, through the Holy Spirit, says to Cyrus, you're going to know that God is with you because of the success that you're going to have. And some believe that the prophet Daniel, who was an advisor to the king, was maybe even reading this chapter that we're about to read, was reading this to Cyrus. Can you imagine for a second that if we flip to the next chapter and, and your name was in it, and it had things about your life that were written in it, and things that God predicted for your life were written in it. Imagine being the most powerful leader of the world. This was the Persian Empire, and Cyrus is in Isaiah 45. And God's telling Cyrus, you're going to be successful because of my hand upon you. You are going to be a part of my purposes. Even though you don't know me, Cyrus, guess what? I know you. And there is a prophetic rule that's going to be upon your life as a king. And the prophetic rule is you're going to help my people. And this is 150 years before he goes into power. It's amazing. 
So imagine if you are the people of Israel. You're God's chosen people, and you're hearing Isaiah speak about some foreign guy coming in to help you. You'd be scratching your head a little bit. Like, why didn't God choose one of us to, to rise up from our own people and to take the reins and take leadership and take charge and, and we take over Babylon? Like, why isn't it that way? But God says, I'm going to bring in a foreign leader to set you free. And so there's even a moment where they question what the Lord is doing. Have you ever questioned the Lord? Well, we'll get to that here in a moment. Let's get ready to read from the Word. Let's pray. This is God's Word. He speaks to us through His Word. Let's settle our hearts on this passage. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time together and Your Word. I ask, Lord, for a blessing upon this, that You would use me to speak Your heartbeat. And Lord, as we look at this particular situation that happened a couple thousand years ago, and, and we see the, the reign of, of Cyrus and how he helped the nation of Israel, your people. Help us to glean. Help us to learn from this passage. We thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Isaiah 45, starting in verse 1. Here we go. It says, this is what the Lord says to Cyrus. Now again, Cyrus is not alive yet. This is what he says, though. His anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. And before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord, there is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other God. I think he's trying to say something. He says, I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me like this? And this is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your Creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. 
With my hands I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose, and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city, which would be Jerusalem, and free my captive people without seeking a reward. The Lord of heaven's armies have spoken. Now, I just want to take a moment here and stop. We'll get back into the passage in a second. But we establish the fact that God is going to bless this guy named Cyrus because there's a purpose behind it. But the people of Israel are going to question why. How many of you have kids? And as a parent, have you ever had kids just ask you questions? The curious minds. They want to know why something is the way it is. You say, well, that's because. Well, why? Because. You can just go back and forth with it. Sometimes it is what it is because I said so. Right? And so we've got this moment here where it's saying that the pot is asking the potter, what are you doing? And can you imagine a newborn baby going, um, I have a question. I have a question. Why are you doing these things? Why? Why? And the purpose is this. Why am I raising up this foreign leader to be a blessing unto you? Because I am going to set you free from your captivity. But there's also something even further into the future that I'm going to be doing through my chosen people. Now hang on to that. Hang on to what is in the future through the people of Israel. Let's go to verse 14. This is what the Lord says. You will rule the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, and the Sabians, and they will come to you with all their merchandise, and it will all be yours. They will follow you as a prisoner in chain. They will fall to their knees in front of you and say, God is with you, and He is the only God. There is no other. Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. All craftsmen who make idols will be humiliated. They will all be disgraced together. But the Lord will save the people of Israel with eternal salvation. Throughout everlasting ages, they will never again be humiliated and disgraced. For the Lord is God, and He created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos." I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. So gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save. Consult together. Argue your case. Get together and decide what to say. Who made these things known so long ago? What idol ever told you that these things could happen or would happen? Was it not I, the Lord... For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation. For I am God, there is no other. 
I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth. And I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. The people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength. And all who were angry with Him will come to Him and be ashamed. And in the Lord, all generations of Israel will be justified and they will boast in Him. So there's a section here where we're addressing the worship of idols. And I've titled this message American Idol. And I'm not going to grab a microphone and sing and you guys judge me on whether or not I get to go to Hollywood or anything like that. Here's a patriotic weekend and now I'm about to sit on some reflection and look into our own lives and say, is there anything in my life that God wants to address? So God is saying there is no other God. I'm the only God. He says that all craftsmen and the idols that they create, they're going to be disgraced. Because all they're doing is creating these little objects, these trinkets that they would worship. He calls idols foolish. There's a foolishness to worshiping these things. And then in case you didn't get it, God says it again. There is no other God. And if you go to Isaiah 46, Isaiah continues to address it. There were a couple big gods in this Babylonian nation that would eventually come and take them into captivity. These gods kind of have a funny name, Bel and Nebo. But they're big gods that they would worship. In Isaiah 46, God's pretty clear. These idols, they won't protect you. These idols, guess what? They're dead. They're not alive. These idols, they're not going to answer to you when you call out to them in prayer. It's a little piece of wood or it's a little piece of metal. These were the kind of idols they had. They're not going to rescue you. Tim Keller in the book Counterfeit Gods, he says, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to, that would give you something that only God can give you. When I was in youth ministry, I uh, would talk about idols being something that would replace God in your heart. God is to be first and foremost. And so we'd put our, our fist over our heart and I'd say an idol is anything that replaces God in that position. And we kind of do that together. You move one out and move the other in. We put things above God. An idol is anything that takes the place of God as the most important focus and priority. And so let's just consider the idols that we set up in our culture. These American idols. There is such a push in our country for success and money and power and comfort. We get caught up in our careers. We can elevate these things of greater importance than our relationship with God. 
We can even elevate our own family above God. Family's a great thing. But if God's not in His rightful place as number one in our life, these idols begin to crowd our worship of Him. You can add in things like politics. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. We can idolize these things. We can make them so important that they get elevated above God. People idolize social media. They spend hours on it. And hours on it. And it just consumes their time. Sports. The worship of sports. It's incredible. This morning when I was at Sweet Ben and I was preaching and we touched on sports, I said, go drive by a soccer field somewhere and you'll see what people are worshiping on a day that God has set aside for worship. We're crowding activities in on a day of worship and we should be gathering together with the church body the way God has designed it and in Scripture says. We've got a consumerism mentality. We get caught up in the markets. Markets go up. Markets go down. Our joy goes up. Our joy goes down with all of that. If you idolize those things, that'll control how you feel. Was the market good or was it bad today? What was the price of gas today? All of that stuff we can get caught up in. This also creeps into the church. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the color of the paint. We now make these things a priority or a focus when we're supposed to be focusing on the Lord. We don't like maybe certain styles of worship. We don't like the preacher. Or we make the preacher a celebrity and we prop him up. And we come to have our ears tickled. The preacher makes me laugh. Oh, that's great. Does he draw you closer into a relationship with God? The church has all kinds of bells and, and whistles and we can get caught up in, in finances and whether or not we should you know, have some coffee and some snacks and all that kind of stuff. If you boil it down in other countries, I've read books where in China, they gather around a light bulb, they get out God's Word, and it's illegal to meet in that room, but God is so real to them in their life, they don't care. And so somebody watches the door because if somebody comes, their life is on the line, but they all gather around in a concrete room because they want to get into God's Word together. And we go, it's too hot or it's too cold. or we, we get all these different things swirled up where we forget about the main reason why we gather together. The list goes on and on, but what are we doing with the Lord? So here's just some questions for us to kind of test our heart in regards to idols. And I'm just going to tell you this right now. As I was putting this message together, I was being poked. Okay? Like, there's things that I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know if I want to touch that. That's my, that's my, you know, whatever it is that's close to my heart. And, and God's revealing these things to me as I'm preparing this sermon to speak to you. So as I'm walking through this question, 
with you, I want you to know that I'm walking through this myself. I'm not coming to you having it all figured out. There are idols in your pastor's life that he has to work through. But here's questions as far as testing your heart for idols. Is there anything in your life that is consuming your time, your energy, your focus, your attention? Can you reflect? Is there anything that you know is just, it's getting to you? You think about it all the time. You talk about it all the time. And perhaps there's things that are maybe a little more you know, private, but then you can really tell when you start to actually talk about these things openly with other people all the time. It becomes a little more public. And when that happens, and as a brother and sister in Christ, we go, you know, I feel like you talk about that a lot. And to just maybe check our heart, is this an idol? Are we willing to be confronted about the very thing that we are pursuing? Sometimes that's when you can tell it's an actual idol because when you touch it, it hits a nerve. No, don't touch that. Don't touch that. That's mine. But if we're really open and honest with God, we're just saying, okay, anything in my life that you want to address, address it, even if it hurts a little bit. Another thing is, has any of these things become a crutch for you? You know, when the going gets tough, you run to these things because it brings you some sense of comfort and peace. If it's not God and you're running to these things for peace, guess what? It won't last. Jesus said, I give peace, and I don't give it like the world gives it. The true peace giver is the Prince of Peace. And if we go to Him, we won't have to run to all these other things that leave us wanting more. Then if you get a little bit further into that, has anything become your life support? Has anything become your life support? You know, God wants to be the one who saves you, not all these different idols that we create. Our memory verse for this week in Isaiah 45, 22, God says, turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth. He says, for I am God and there is no other. God desires for us to turn away from idols and turn to Him. He desires that. And there's no equal here. All the stuff that takes our time and attention God is so much greater. Here's some truths about God that are from this passage that we read here uh, today. First off, in verse 15, I appreciate this one personally. God works in mysterious ways. So you know what that means? Is that as I'm going through life, there might be times when I have questions, but guess what? I don't have to have all the answers. God's going to do things because He's so much greater and bigger than I am, and I don't have to know all the answers. For those who are parents, I kind of jokingly asked earlier, do you have kids that ask a lot of questions? 
And sometimes do you ever just settle something where they just didn't get the answer? We got to be okay with that sometimes. Because we have a God that works in mysterious ways. And one of the neat things about our God is He desires to save each one of us. His salvation is eternal. It's not a temporary saving. It's forever. And it's not just for you and me, but specifically in this passage, He's talking to the nation of Israel. You know, these people that are going to be in captivity... And they're going to be conquered. Their city's going to be destroyed. Their temple's going to be destroyed. And God's saying over a hundred years in advance, it's going to be all right. There's a hope and a future. And it goes even beyond that time frame, which was over 2,000 years ago. God still has a plan for the nation of Israel, and there's an eternal purpose in that. And speaking of purpose, I love how in verse 18, God tells us that not only is He the Creator, but there's purpose to what He's doing. He said the world is not just a bunch of empty chaos. Isn't that a relief to know? That no matter whatever's going on in the world, to know that God is in control. And there's a purpose to the things that He carries out. God is worth your time. He says, you don't seek me in vain. Have you ever met with somebody and you were like, oh, that was a waste of time? Yes? No? With God, it's never a waste of time. He says, it's not in vain whenever you meet with me. If you seek me, he says, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise from Jeremiah 29. That's a kind of a call to us. If you seek me, you're going to find me. And I'm telling you right now, it's worth every minute when you seek me. And the last one here is God speaks only truth. He emphasized that several different times, several different ways in this passage. You can take his words to the bank. And there's several ways that I know you can. And we have some history on our side to prove this. Through Isaiah, God called out Cyrus. God also talked about how Israel was going to go into captivity. Israel was going to eventually rebuild the temple. These things then happened. And you go, well, God just got lucky on this Cyrus guy. But what about all the other stuff? All the other prophecies we see in the Old Testament that have been fulfilled through history. And what that tells me is that these prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled regarding Israel, regarding our future, and how Jesus is coming back to rule here on this earth, and those who have Christ in their life now will get to be a part of that kingdom. I believe that. I believe that. And you might go, well, what's the delay? Well, what's 150 years to God? I believe what he says, he speaks only truth. Let's go back to Cyrus for a second. Beyond the case of Cyrus, the Lord's will and his purposes stand behind everything. And so the reason why God would take a foreign leader and bring him in to take care of business on 
Israel's oppressor and captor is to then eventually set them free. God is still up to something even when our situations seem distraught and gleam. God is at work. Therefore, as His people, we should not be discouraged when things appear to be contrary according to His promises. He is still at work. Cyrus, again, the most powerful man on earth at that time, yet even he is in the complete and sovereign control of God Almighty. And I just love how there's support here for Israel. I know in this series I walked us through the Abrahamic covenant that God gave a promise to Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. And that promise was then given to Isaac, Abraham's son. Same thing. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And that promise goes down to his son. And Jacob has this promise. And we know Jacob, his name gets turned to Israel, and he's got 12 sons, and these 12 tribes of Israel become a nation, and that same promise is spoken over them prophetically. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. There is something about the nation of Israel and God's heart for His people. And we would do well to pay attention to that. God's purposes will prevail. So whether it's Pharaoh all the way back in the book of Exodus and him wanting to keep the Israelites and finally letting the people go and not giving in to the Lord, there's a curse that falls upon even his own household. And he loses his son. Then you look at Cyrus. And any leader today on the world stage, on the national stage, on the state level, the local level, God's purposes will prevail. There's something comforting in that, isn't there? It doesn't matter who's in the driver's seat. God is still in control. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. God is in control. And with Israel being a big deal and wanting to be a nation that blesses Israel, it's important. I don't care what nation you are around the globe, if you are a blessing to Israel, God says, I will be a blessing to you. But if you curse Israel, it's not going to go well for you. I will lift my hand of blessing. And so I want to encourage you guys as a congregation, and I'll be doing the same. Our nation's leader, Joe Biden, will be in Israel in two weeks. And he'll have an opportunity to be a blessing to Israel. We should pray that God would give him incredible wisdom to be a blessing to Israel. And we need to ask God that we should pray for our leaders, no matter what level, because they need help. No matter what party, 
no matter what branch of government, any of that. We need to pray. We ask God to help. But it's important to be a blessing to Israel. I know, again, patriotic weekend, God bless America, but I want you to know something. Israel is who lasts forever. We need to be serious about Israel. So I think it's amazing that this foreign leader, God says, I know you, Cyrus, even though you don't know me. I know you even though you don't know me. You go back to our memory verse. God says, I want you to turn to me and be saved. Before you're saved, we don't know God. But yet he knows us. He knows you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be your God. He wants to guide and lead your life. But we have a choice. Do we want him in that place. This closes with a prophetic statement that some point in the future, every knee is going to bow to Jesus. Every knee. And God desires for us to come to Christ so that we bend that knee willingly in submission to Him not bending it in regret because we're going to spend an eternity without a God who loves us. God desires to save us. As we reflect on this message, there's a couple responses. A little bit of a heart check today. Are there any idols in our life that we need to take care of? That we need to say, God, I need your help in this area. I've made something of greater focus and greater importance than you. Please help me address this. Please help me address this. The other part is, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like Cyrus. You're a successful individual. Things are going well for you, but you don't know God. I want you to know that God knows you and loves you and He wants a relationship with you. He's inviting you into that relationship. So I want to encourage us now to take a moment here in prayer together as we respond together to this message today. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time spent in your word as we desire to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that your words would ring loud and clear. Help us to have the proper focus when it comes to our relationship with you. There's so many things in this world that will distract us from you, things that will eventually lead us empty or perhaps are leaving us empty right now. Help us to turn to you, Lord. Help us to turn to you and make you the most important thing in our life. And Lord, if there's anyone that is listening right now that desires to have a relationship with you, 
recognizing in their own heart they don't know you, but today they're hearing that you know them. You know everything about their life. And you love them and you desire to walk with them, guide them and lead them and be their God. And if you're someone who desires that relationship, I want to lead you in this prayer to receive God into your life today and just simply pray with me and say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. And I thank you for dying for me on the cross so that I could be set free. Help me to live out of the relationship with you to navigate this spiritual journey here on earth with your grace, with your guidance, with your blessing. Help me to live for you. Thank you for this gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word today. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.